It's time to review the 2013 season. We've got some Formula One insiders ready to dissect the key stories of the year. The James Allen on F1 podcast, brought to you by UBS. Hello and welcome to the final edition of the J on F1 podcast for 2013 with UBS. This month we'll be looking back over the season, analysing the key talking points and looking ahead to 2014 and the revolution in technology with small capacity hybrid turbo engines. With me are some leading Formula One insiders and we're recording this the morning after the Autosport Awards. With me to discuss all of this are Marussia Sporting Director Graham Loudon. His team hit an important milestone this year, breaking into the top 10 of the Constructors' Championship and setting a new record for finishes for a rookie driver with Max Chilton. Mark Hughes is one of the preeminent writers on Formula One in the English language. As Grand Prix editor of Autosport, writer of books and part of the Sky TV team, he's a major influencer in the F1 media. Holly Samos has been with us all through the year and presented some of the best items on the JN F1 podcast this year, getting the best out of Jensen Button, Ross Braun, Martin Whitmarsh, amongst others. Mark Gillen is our technical advisor and has been with us all season, providing invaluable insights into the racing, the technology and the decision-making among the F1 teams and analysing the drivers' performances. And Zach Brown, founder and CEO of Just Marketing, is Formula One's preeminent sponsor finder, and he's provided us with behind-the-scenes insight all year into the business and political goings-on in the sport. But let's start by talking about the racing, the personalities and the year that we've had. Graham, you're a team boss, but you're also a fan of the sport. Obviously, we've had new standards set this year by Sebastian Vettel and Red Bull, but there have been a lot of turn-offs for fans as well, haven't there, in many ways? I mean, the, the tyres and the, the end-of-season domination. So, on balance, was this a good year for Formula 1? Um, I certainly don't think it was a vintage year by, by any stretch. Um, you know, in any sport, what the fans want to see is a degree of, um, a degree of uncertainty. I know it sounds a bit old-fashioned to say that, but... Um, Certainly, towards the end of the season, you could, you, you know, there was no racing at the front. It was as simple as that, and uh, and I think that's a real shame because that's what people that's what people tune into, and um, you know that's what the fans want. The biggest asset our sport has is the is the global fan base, and um, if we uh, if we ignore them as a sport, then we ignore them, you know, at, at our peril. This is a very very expensive industry that we're in, and if we forget the end customer if you like then um you know then then we're heading for a, a very a very dangerous time so uh, it's certainly not a vintage year hats off to the people who produced you know such a fantastic team effort at red bull you know the, the car was exceptional um seb just didn't put a foot wrong and um so you can't really blame them but i think uh if we had many more seasons like the second half of this season, then I think, sadly, the fans will go and look at something else. So it's a good job we've got a new story to tell in 2014 with uh, the new technology. At least that sort of shakes it up. On paper, it shakes it up, at least. Yeah, you know, it's a massive challenge for, um, uh, for, all, of the, for all of the teams. And what's not clear yet is, you know, is, is, it, a, is it a challenge or is it something that's going to be more divisive on the... Um, on the grid, you know, I, I hope it's the former. I hope that it shakes things up and provides a degree of uncertainty. What what we don't want is um, a set of regulations that just favour the 
the teams that have the resources to take advantage of it and stretch the grid even further. Mark Hughes, you go along with that? Yeah, um, very much. And I think uh, to season of two halves, and we saw where the Red Bull was fairly competitive in the first half and utterly dominant in the second half. And that seemed to be very much to do with the the, the enforced change in the spec of the tyres. And the, uh, the tyres that were originally on the first half of the season, uh, they were continuing that philosophy of trying to artificially bring everyone to a, uh, a similar, artificially put a ceiling on the level of performance. And as soon as that uh, ceiling was lifted, it had to be, had to be lifted because the tyres were going pop. Uh, we saw the real underlying picture. And I think um, I, I'm, I'm against uh, artificially trying to manipulate the performance of, of the field. But I think what we, instead of looking to try and equalise performance, we should be looking to equalise the playing field, equalise the opportunity and, and financially. And it, the, 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 the difference in resource between the front and the back is way too big. And I think um, it's inequitous. Um, the way it's structured at the moment, and it isn't sustainable. Mark Gillen, what do you think? Uh, how do you think Red Bull managed to to pull out such a domination in the second half of the season, given given the, how open it was in the first part of the year? Adrian New uh, alluded to it uh, in quite a revealing interview, uh, where he said that with the tar change uh, mid-season, the tar spec allowed him, or the, new, the, the revised tar specification allowed them uh, to to use better uh, their aerodynamic platform. Uh, so they're able to put the aerodynamic load into the tar uh, and sort of maximize the grip uh, and uh, just get a better, uh, more stable platform uh, for, the, for the car. Uh, and that obviously had a, had a tremendous change in terms of uh, impact uh, relative to the competition. And Holly, your view on that? What? Well, I mean, I, I always look at the drivers. You know, I leave the sort of technology to the... the people sitting around this table uh, but uh, when it comes to the drivers I think Sebastian last year yes he won a ton of races but he really showed his form he was amazing last year and a lot of people don't really like him um, and I don't know why because he is a lovely chap and uh, I mean we, we were at a, a do recently and, and he was on stage collecting an award and he was very very funny and very witty um, he doesn't come across so well um, but one thing he he did, the way he did come across during 2013, I think, was that he showed everyone who has huge motorsport knowledge and the fans as well and the general fans how good he actually was last year. The respect, I think, that he he gained last year, was some, or this year rather, is something else because he drove that car so brilliantly and he developed that car and his teammate is great. Mark Webber is brilliant driver, but he just wasn't a patch on Seb. And and I think some sometimes it's down to the media to tell the right stories and, and you know, how to sort of get into the sport. Um, but ultimately, I think every year in F1, even back to the old glory days, they weren't so glorious. You know, so I think there's always something we can always be negative. But at the same time, I just think it is the pinnacle of motorsport. We have to stay positive about it. Well, Mark, let's look at uh, some of the personalities because, I mean, Holly's mentioned there what, what Vettel's done this year and I completely agree with what she says. And for me, the exciting thing about this year with Vettel was was him, and yes, of course, he had the best car, but it was man and machine in perfect harmony. And sometimes you see that. I remember Mansell in the Williams in, in 92 was a similar thing. He just, yeah, it was a great car, but he just took it. It was the right car for him and he found a way with it. Yeah. So uh, obviously that that's the kind of, that's the Vettel story this year. Alonso finishing second in, 
clearly not the second fastest car. I don't think he was that great in the autumn, but then you look at what he's actually achieved this year. Talking to fans, they think that is the greatest achievement of uh, of 2013. And Hamilton as well, obviously changing teams. What, give us a, give us your take on some of the personalities. Yeah, I mean, Seb in terms, uh, absolutely go along with everything Holly says about Seb. And he is, he's a personality. Uh, and we at the uh, Autosport Awards last night and he was absolutely hilarious. I mean, if, you, if you were there, you, you needed to... To, to be there really to appreciate these like impressions of Jean Tot and <laughs> Helmut Marko, they were just fantastic. But um, as as the in terms of the job he's done, yeah, he's he's been fantastic this year. It's he's reached um, he, he's reached a level where he can um, take his peaks and just repeat them now. It, it, what what previously his peaks, he just seems to be his standard level of performance now. And that car's derived a lot of its advantage from um, exhaust blowing. Um, having more exhaust blowing downforce uh, on on the rear than other cars, and he's adapted to that in a in a way that's that, that's unique, really. Mm. He, his technique, um, because the car is inherently unbalanced off throttle. So as you're going into a corner, the, the 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 rear doesn't have as much downforce as you'd ideally want it to. Um, and then, so as the rear is starting to slide, the the most unnatural thing in the world for a driver then is to stand on the gas because that feels as though it's going to make the situation worse. But in actual fact, with that car, it's exactly what you need to do, and it's what he's been able to master. One of the other standout performances I thought of 2013 as well, and I don't know if you agree, Mark, is um, uh, Nico Rosberg. I think Lewis coming into the team actually boosted Nico even more, and he got faster this year than... And uh, whether that whether that would have happened if Schumacher had stayed there, I don't know. But I think Lewis has made Rosberg quicker. Yeah, well, I think I think Nico was already working to a pretty high level, to be honest. Um, and I think he was probably very, very motivated by the reputation that Lewis had coming in. Mm. Um, so, yeah, maybe it's uh, stepped up his application a bit. I, difficult to know without being on the inside. But um, yeah, I think that that's an extremely strong driver lineup. And, um, yeah, they both had a few little peaks and troughs, but you couldn't say definitively one was better than the other this year. Very cool. What about Alonso? I mean, you've you've worked. Uh, you're obviously on the inside of a team. You're looking at all the data. You've got more data than any of us have got to look at. Uh, for all that Mark and myself and Holly are sort of groping in the dark to figure out what everyone's doing, but you, you can see it. So, what, what was your take? Yeah, I think the thing I really like about Alonso is, is just, you know, you said it before, James. It's not uh, the car he's driving is not the second fastest car, and yet come race day. Um, you know, not so much in qualifying, but come race day, you just knew he was going to he was going to switch it on and just race, and that's what people that's what people want to watch. We mentioned Hamilton there. How do we evaluate his season, Mark? I mean, he's 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 switched teams. He's gone to. I think the braking side of things is obviously fundamental to him. It's a lot of his speed comes from the way yeah. he uses the brakes. Apparently, he, no one presses a brake pedal harder than Lewis Hamilton. Mm-hmm. But he had a unique uh, brake material when he was at McLaren. Didn't have the opportunity to use that Mercedes. And, yeah. That's obviously part of the story, but mm-hmm. I also sensed a kind of an inconsistency in Hamilton uh, this year that makes me wonder whether we st- there's still a lot of potential there mm-hmm. or whether he's kind of in a different place now in his career. I think his peaks were as high as ever, um, but uh, yes, it's circuits that placed a heavy emphasis on brake and he wasn't uh, at his best and he freely admitted that. Um, McLaren have got um, an exclusive on a particular uh, manufacturer of caliper and it's believed that that's where the the pedal feel that he was so comfortable with is is derived from. So they've been um, paying attention to that and trying to rec- recreate that, but they haven't got 
use of, of those type of calipers. We've, we've seen him be distracted before, you know, from his life off the circuit and seemed to be a little bit of that going on again this year. But I think on on a good day, uh, he is still the outright fastest guy out there they, in terms of just getting in there and taking a car to the limit. Mark mentions the off-track distractions, Holly. Do you, mm. think that's, do you think that's an increasingly... I mean, he's had some years where he's obviously been very distracted, others uh, where less so. What, what did you think? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? When you look at Lewis's career, I mean, when he won, his, he had his family around him and, and they were his only... Uh, people that were allowed in sort of his circle. It's very different now, um, whether he's got a girlfriend, whether he's not got a girlfriend. Focus, I think, is really important for the drivers. And a lot of them don't work as hard as someone like Sebastian Vettel does. And he is such a hard worker. And and I think a lot of the drivers, they don't flit in and out, but they do... There's a there's there's just a lack of of dedication and focus and and I think if you want to win a championship and a lot of the time you can win a championship without the fastest car because of as you know Graham was saying there are other continuity of points whether someone like Alonso could do it but I think you have to work a hundred percent and that's got to be your only goal and I think with so many of the drivers now there's so many other things sponsorship and 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 commercial side and and girlfriends and children and whatever whatever it is you know whereas you look at someone like Sebastian four-time world champion and he doesn't turn up to the track with his girlfriend he doesn't bring any of his family pretty much until when he's one and his father turns up and his mum um and he's so, so dedicated. And I think a lot of the times people like Lewis and Alonso and um, Jensen, they all could do it and they all will do it again. Um, and we will have new world champions. But I just think their the work ethic, they could probably pull a bit from Sebastian. Well, one of my uh, favourite stories, I think, of, of 2013 is the redemption of Roman Grosjean. I mean, uh, he was described by Mark Webber last year as a first lap nutcase, having yeah. got involved in seven uh, opening opening lap uh, accidents. And, of course, the one in Spa was one of the most frightening start line accidents I think I've ever seen. It could have taken Fernando Alonso's head off very easily. But what a turnaround. I mean, it's particularly the final part of the season. He looked to me like a proper, proper... Uh, frontline Grand Prix driver. What were, you, what were your thoughts on, on Grosjean's season, Graham? I think um, last year in particular, you always got the impression that he was a racing driver using having to use 100% of his brain to drive. And, um, you know, the the really quick guys, the really, really fast guys aren't like that. You know, they're, they're using 90% to produce the mega performance and then the other 10% is the creativity that they use to, to actually race. And and also generally avoid um big accidents and uh, and the like and you just got the impression last year that um that roman was was fully occupied completely fully occupied with with just trying to go quick and and so you get caught out an awful lot and you know he was up at the stewards a, a huge number of times he was he was certainly uh, route one to the center of some fairly big accidents and um, and I think what we've seen this year is um, he's he's created that extra capacity that that the quicker drivers have to to start thinking a bit um, outside of just driving the car. Mark Gillen, before the season started, you did an analysis for us of the um, of the testing times, and you uh, picked out 
uh, Grosjean's consistency on, on the long runs. And, and it was interesting that because obviously the car was good, but it said something perhaps about him and how he turned his game around. And it turned out to be quite prophetic because he, he had a fantastic year in the end, didn't he? I think he's a standout uh, driver in terms of Im- improved driver uh, this season. I mean, last year uh, he, he had a, quite a few difficulties um, uh, and uh, was up to the stewards a number of times. Um uh, and uh, you know there was question marks o- over him, uh, his uh, sort of uh, temperament. But uh, I mean, all credit to him and to Lotus uh, and the the Lotus management for sticking by uh, their driver. And uh, he's he's delivered uh, a really fantastic, uh, particularly end of season results. And he had to step up to the plate uh, with Kimi leaving uh, in the last two races. And you know, I I. I th- I was really, really impressed with him, uh, and all credit again to Lotus uh, for sort of nurturing that talent. Uh, and they've obviously got a very quick, uh, reliable uh, race driver now. Well, Jackie Stewart, of course, is involved with the Lotus team behind the scenes with Genie Iron on the commercial side, and uh, he certainly played a role behind the scenes over last winter in working with Grosjean. I spoke to him about the turnaround of the Frenchman. There's nobody in the pit lane would have touched Grosjean while he was going through his period of collisions and first laps. And yet now there would be a lot of people interested in in Roman Gourjean because he's backed off the heroics and is now able to thread the needle more consistently. And when you get even better, you can thread the needle in a windy day. (laughs) So Maldorado has something to learn. There is no doubt about that. He, He cannot have as many incidents as he's had in the past and continue to be wanted. But obviously, right now, his financial baggage that he brings with him is something that quite a few people would like to have. This is the James Allen on F1 podcast. Well, let's bring in Zach Brown now, because obviously some pretty big things happened behind the scenes in 2013, with the agreement finally made between the commercial rights holder, Bernie Eccleston, and the FIA's Jean Todd, which means that Formula One has stability to 2020, and the FIA has a lot more cash at its disposal. But what does it mean for the sport, Zach? Uh, you know, I think with all these major sports, anytime you get uh, longevity and a contract in place, it just brings stability uh, to the sport and it allows all the stakeholders, whether it's the teams, the sponsors, the tracks, to, to put their head down and, and think long-term and, and build their respective businesses uh, versus having short-term concerns or with a, a deal not being in place, uh, making it hard for people to make long-term commitments because they don't necessarily know what the long-term future of the sport is. So I think, the, in summary, it brings stability for everybody. Well, Graham, you'd know about that, because obviously, finally, after about 18 months out in the cold, you got your commercial deal with, the, with Bernie and his company. What, what was that all about? Why did it take so long, and, and what does it mean for you? Um, well, you're kind of asking the wrong person why it took so long to some extent, because we had to wait to be given an, an offer. Um, and it, it just took a very, very long time for us to um, to be offered um, something. So, you know, very unusual, but, you know, that that, that is what it is. But what it means for us, and um, Zach's t- touched on this and summarised it very well, is um, the, the um, it provides us with a degree of certainty. And, you know, we are running a, a business here with a lot of employees and um, investors, partners, suppliers, and we want to plan beyond the next Grand Prix. You know, we want to plan years, um, years ahead. And without having a, 
a deal with a commercial rights holder, um, we had a lack of uh, lack of certainty. But I think what was worse than that is um, the perception. So if you're perceived to be a team that is different from the other teams, then it, it puts you um, puts you at a clear disadvantage. But Zach, the troubling thing really about 2013 is when we see drivers like uh, Hulkenberg at Sauber and Raikkonen at Lotus not being paid and those those signals going out to the public and also all the stories about a number of the teams being quite close to the edge financially. You know, you've got this big pot of money coming into the sport uh, and yet some teams are sort of are on the breadline. They they have some sponsorship revenue. They have obviously revenue, like Graham was saying, from the from the commercial rights holder. But why are we in this position? Well, it's a, it's a tricky one, uh, and it's an unfortunate one. I, I think there has always been um, an element of teams struggling in Formula One financially. Not that that's a a good thing, or because it's happened for uh, Formula One's existence that it should should continue. It shouldn't. Uh, budgets, uh, in my opinion, are, are pretty out of control. Um, I'd love to see some sort of of budget cap, uh, I think from a spectator standpoint, they're not going to notice whether a team's running on a $200 million budget or a $80 million budget. Um, so I, I think, unfortunately, uh, some teams uh, have unlimited resources, which make it difficult for those that have limited resources, and, and those with limited resources are, are trying to race them, so they're stretching themselves and, and making some assumptions and if sponsorship doesn't come in or they don't run quite as well as they'd hoped, they don't get the uh, constructor's money that they banked on. So it's, it's kind of forcing the smaller teams to extend themselves. So I think uh, one of the best solutions would be to have some sort of budget cap. Of course, you then get into the argument of uh, managing that, policing that, but putting that aside, assuming that can be done, I'd love to see budgets come down. I think it's unnecessary that uh, to spend two two hundred fifty million dollars a year, and I think that would bring health uh, across the grid and, and make it more competitive for everyone. Well, Graham's nodding here alongside you, Zach. But you're singing from our from our from our hymn sheet. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. I think um, what you said there is absolutely right, Zach. Um, I think all all of the all of the global sports that have demonstrated huge growth over the last. Five or ten years have have had two things in common. One is uh, some form of cost control, um, rigidly enforced, and some form of equitable distribution of um, of revenue. And you know, it's not just one or two sports um, that that have that model. It's all of the successful ones, you know, that have got double digit uh, income growth. And it's part of the reason why the, so many teams are struggling, also because you need to stockpile cash and resources because you've got a very expensive new engine, et cetera, coming down the pipe for 2014. Is there an element of that as well? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, with, with, with the new engine, obviously the costs do go up. Um, I, I think the risk of the new engine is, 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 is probably more its role in, in the overall marketing mix. You know, the the... Um, it's certainly going to have some um, some great characteristics in terms of efficiency and technology, and whether we can monetize that through through sponsorship is is yet to be seen. And um, not completely convinced of that. And on the other hand, we risk um, uh, you know pot- potentially upsetting some of the DNA of, of of Formula One. You know these these are supposed to be the most impressive cars in the world, and. Uh, 
we take um, guests um, and, and partners who spend a lot of money with us to a Grand Prix and, you know, we expect them to be, uh, and they are, uh, incredibly impressed at, at what they see. You know, you don't just hear these cars, you feel them. And um, we're going to be dabbling with some of that, that DNA and I hope, I hope that that works out and the, the, the net balance is, is, is positive, for the, um, positive for the sport. Zach, one of the things I keep getting asked and I keep seeing around is is the question of what a pay driver actually is. Because obviously in this financial vacuum, a lot of teams have been uh, obliged to take drivers that, that bring some budget with them. And, but where do you draw the line between what, uh, someone who's a pay driver and someone who, for various reasons, either because of who they are in their country, like, for example, Alonso attracting the money from Santander, is somebody who is naturally backed? What, how do we draw the differentiation between them? Well, it's a tough one because at the end of the day, someone's paying for all these racing car drivers. And to your point, you know, is Fernando Alonso a pay driver? You know, of course not, everyone would say. But at the end of the day, Santander is spending a lot of money uh, with Ferrari and they want Alonso in the car. Um, you know, uh, as Nicky Lotta said, uh, or John Watson said last night, you know, Nicky brought. Uh, uh, the sponsor with him with uh, when he joined, uh, I believe it was the Brabham team. So someone's paying for these drivers, and whether the driver brings the the money directly or indirectly, I think it's the same result, you know. And then you get into someone like uh, Pastor, who uh, won a won a race last year, drove fantastic, beat Fernando uh, straight up, and you know he's got quite a reputation as a, a paid driver. He brings substantial budget with him, but he looked like a pretty good racing driver to me there in uh, Barcelona last year. What do you think, Mark? I mean, you've, you're like me. You've covered this sport for a very long time. We've seen it through various different iterations. There's always been guys who come along with a, a briefcase full of cash and get a drive and that kind of thing. But are we, in a play, are we in a bad place at the moment on this or is this just everyone getting overexcited because we're in this financial uh, sort of crisis generally in the sport? I think it's just a, another symptom of the, the financial malaise that Zach and Graham were talking about. But uh, the, the, the drivers that, that are coming piece people like pasta and um, drivers associated with um, sovereign wealth of countries they're not really pay drivers in the sense that they're they're rubbish and sh- sh- couldn't be there on merit so, someone like pdvsa is finding it much more uh, relevant and rewarding to be associated with a sportsman a personality rather than a team and so that sportsman, that personality, is then taken taken that where, where he decides his best competitive chances are. He's still a, a paid professional sportsman. It's just he's not being paid by the team. He's being paid by somewhere else, and the team runs him. It's really tough at the moment for the teams because even someone like Lotus, who had the performance this year, they didn't have a, the pay, a paid driver. I know Grosjean's got a bit of money behind him, but um, but. They had the performance. They were up there at the top of the timesheets. They were competing for second or third in the championship. And yet still, they have difficulty finding sponsors. And and it's it's such a tough, tough time. It, I, I can see why it's going on. But, uh, I mean, as, as Mark said, I think that, you know, this has pretty much, this is history, isn't it? So it's going on forever. And Zach, obviously, looking to your crystal ball for us, what, what, what changes this? I mean, you say that the sport needs to get control, control of costs. That's obviously going to be first order priority for, for a newly elected Jean Todd in 2014. Do you sense that there is a chance that the, the people that stand in the way of that will, will allow it to happen? I'm sure they'll push back quite, quite a bit. Um, 
you know, because it gives them a, a clear, distinct advantage um, that I'm sure they don't want to uh, give up. Uh, I think, as Graham mentioned, you know, all these other sports. In baseball, you have a, a luxury tax, so you can spend what you want. But if you go over budget, you then have to uh, share some of that money uh, with others in the sport. I think the NFL probably has the, the best model, which is why you can see the uh, you know Green Bay Packers taking on a – Dallas Cowboys, so you've got great uh, equality in, in how money is spent there because the NFL's view is, you know, it takes all the teams to, to make the sport. Um, so, uh, you know, I do think uh, Jean will take a, a stab at it. Um, I think something will happen. Will it be uh, dramatic enough to make a significant difference? I think he will meet uh, resistance for those people that have. $200 million budgets, they'll want to continue to have $200 million budgets or pounds or euros, or whatever they're trading in. And, um, you know, it will be, be tough, but hopefully there'll be forward progress. And I think that's all we can uh, can hope for at this point. Uh, Zach, you've obviously um, branched out a little bit. Uh, you announced uh, that you're doing going into the management game with managing a couple of legends, Jackie Stewart and, and Nicky Lauder. Tell us about that. Yeah, very, uh, very excited and uh, honored to be working with, with two legends and two guys that were my heroes uh, growing up. Um, you know, in, in today's world, the demands on the uh, current Formula One drivers is, is very significant. And therefore, uh, we have found that sponsors, you know, really can't get enough access to the drivers to do all the uh, Saturday night dinners. The drivers have their curfews. They need to go to bed early. They've got multiple sponsor commitments. And so uh, we have found that the Nicky Lottas, the Jackie Stewarts uh, can provide a, a great insight and association uh, for these sponsors in the sport. And uh, they're great ambassadors for the sport. Uh, they're much more uh, uh, available, obviously certainly busy, but they don't have to worry about what time free practice starts or what time the race starts. And um, they're both very uh, commercially uh, savvy. They're two uh, totally different uh, individuals, which is going to make it a lot of fun to, to work with both of them. And it's really building off the success we've had with working with Jeff Gordon, a uh, four-time NASCAR champion in, in North America. So we've been very selective. We wanted to make sure our relationship with Jeff uh, worked, which it did. And uh, just very happy to get the opportunity to work with Jackie and Nikki. I'm sure it'll be uh, successful for everyone. And continue uh, to build the great exposure they already have and in, in insight into the sport. The James Allen on F1 podcast, brought to you by UBS. Now what about Mercedes? I mean, obviously fifth in the Constructors' Championship 2012, got it up to second. Ross Braun, though, out the door. Uh, I spoke with uh, Nicky Lauder, the chairman of the Mercedes team, and uh, this was his thoughts on whether or not 2013 had been a success for the team. Yes, I think it's a very big success, I have to say, because coming from fifth place last year into second behind Red Bull is, an, I think, a big uh, achievement because Mercedes had to do, or Ross Brown and his team, two steps yeah, from being fifth into this year. And this was the last year of the existing regulations, so it's very difficult to do that. And I think the team, especially Ross, with all his people there, did a perfect job. And Ross is gone now, obviously. What's the background to that and how do you feel about it? I feel bad about it because I try to convince him to stay another year. But unfortunately, he prefers to go fishing, which I have to respect and understand. And uh, now we have to keep on working. But I mean, there's, there's a future there, there's no question. Uh, Toto Wolf and uh, Paddy Lowe have to take over the whole game now. 
And uh, I'm confident that, that the baseline there is very good on people and technicians and designers. So we're going to go forward. Graham, Mercedes, uh, are they now a major force? You see them as being one of the championship challenges in 2014? Yeah, uh, Mercedes for me were the biggest surprise of of this year. Um, I, I thought when Lewis went there in particular, I thought it was a sensible idea, but I thought what he was doing was effectively going to write off um, uh, a season and then come uh, with the new engine in an incredibly strong package. And we've seen Ross do this over and over again in the past, both in Formula One and sports cars. Actually, he did it in sports cars as well, where he, he sacrificed a year and then came out with you know with a car that was just untouchable. And and so I, I would have. Um, I would have put money on the fact that Mercedes were going to be nowhere this year and and then the team to beat um, next year and uh, just shows how wrong you can be because, you know, they they turn things around um, uh, incredibly. Um, uh, For sure, they've thrown an awful lot of resource at it. You only have to look at the the job advert pages to see that they've been recruiting like mad. There's, There's clearly been some kind of shift. Um, in emphasis there and they've they've really pushed very 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 hard so um, it's not the year that I had expected from Mercedes and I think they've done they've done a, a, an amazing job um, um, to be where they're at and it's going to be really uh, quite interesting to see how, how they're going to perform next year. Mark the weaknesses were still there in evident weren't they particularly on Sunday afternoons however quick they were in qualifying with their eight poles I think it was this year uh, so they've still got some work to do there. But how did you read them this year? And particularly Ross. I mean, we know him well. He's been around. He's obviously not going to be able to take the credit next year if they go out and blitz the opposition, which is obviously going to be tough for him. But was he pushed? Are they, take, are they taking a risk in getting him out of there? I think they got themselves into a bit of a pickle um, when Toto came and he had the uh, already the agenda to bring Paddy Lowe in. And they just didn't fit. And then once they were installed, they realised what a huge asset Ross was because he's in the middle of, at that time, was building a foundation of long-term success. And I think they recognised this and they tried very, very hard to get him to stay on. Um, but he, he didn't want want to do it under any, any terms other than he was the, the outright boss and that that really wasn't available so they got they got themselves in a bit of a pickle there but I think um, absolutely they're going forward they're going to be um, one, one of the, the title favourites no, no, no question Mark Gillen Mercedes obviously Nicky Lauda there saying that second is a success for them they were a long way off in the end uh, Red Bull performance wise but considering that they were fifth uh, the year before what did you see in, in Mercedes in the turnaround and, and do you see them being strong going forward? I think they had a, a tremendous season um, up until the tyre change. They were right in the hunt. Um, and, uh, OK, they were uh, off uh, the pace of Red Bull, but so were everybody else. Uh, and uh, to finish second and hit their uh, sort of target uh, is a very, very good achievement. Uh, I mean, I think uh, quite quite a lot of people, uh, and uh, myself included, sort of were questioning how, how competitive they would be. But... Uh, they have really developed that car well, uh, and they've got in place now a very strong technical uh, leadership team uh, to, to, to take Mercedes forward. 
Well, another team that was very much a talking point this year, Holly, was, was McLaren. I mean, the first time since 1980 that they failed to score a podium. And if it wasn't for Jensen Button getting that fourth place in Brazil, it would actually have been their worst season since the 1960s. Uh, that's how bad it was. And when you think that Jensen won, Jensen Button won the final Grand Prix of 2012, mm. uh, McLaren had been fast at the beginning, the middle and the end of 2012. How on earth they got themselves into that mess is anybody's guess. You did a great interview with Jensen for our November podcast, but what's, what's your read on the McLaren this year? It's it's a it's a very difficult one, isn't it? Because um, how it, well, on one side you can kind of say how how did you get it so wrong? How could you have the fastest car at the end of two thousand and twelve and then go into two thousand and thirteen change your car? I totally got what Martin Whitmarsh was saying. We need to develop this this car, and we can't develop that one any further. And then halfway through the year, actually, we should have stuck with that car because maybe we could have made it. But you know, there, there's arguments on both sides, isn't there? Um, when I spoke to Jensen for the November podcast. He's a sportsman, isn't he? He always he he will he he's having a tough year and and it is tough for the team, but they are still one of the top 4 teams and they will be next year. Next year actually might be a bit of a transition year for McLaren because they've got obviously Mercedes for one year and then they're going into Honda. So maybe that's why they've brought Magnussen in next year. It'll be interesting to see what what he'll be like pairing with Jensen. But um Oh, you can argue both sides, can't you? But within the team, their races and this one will would have really hurt. Magnussen looks like a proper racing driver to me. It's early days. I mean, Mark Gillen did a brilliant analysis for us of, uh, of his young driver test. The consistency of it when he was running with high fuel and, low, and lower fuel was absolutely uh, fascinating to look at. So I'm excited, certainly, to, to see Magnussen. But... There's another story going on behind the scenes at McLaren, isn't there, Mark Hughes, which is a sort of civil war, if you like, between Ron Dennis and and Martin Whitmarsh. Not an awful lot has been said about this, but Ron Dennis has definitely appeared to be trying to take control back of that team. And Whitmarsh seems to have quite a lot of shareholder support. Uh, Mansour Ojay, who's one of the key men there, isn't very well at the moment. And that's obviously complicating things, too. But that's not a great sort of platform, a great background for McLaren to sort of move forward from what has been a difficult year this year, is it? No, and it feeds on itself. And we we hear these things leaking out about the the, the battle for control of the team. But if you're trying to pull the carpet out from under Martin, if you've just had a season like that, it would make it a lot easier. And then that that then makes Martin's job more difficult to try and. So it's it's not a healthy situation. So um, it's something that would need to be resolved. Certainly Honda will want that resolved, won't they? Because uh, they're coming in all guns blazing after an embarrassing last uh, stint in Formula One and going back together with McLaren, such an emotive name from the Senna Prost days, it's got to work. And yeah. What's your sense of it quickly around the table? Do you think they'll get Alonso for 2015? <laughs> you know what? I have no idea. But McLaren's biggest advantage um, under the current regulations um, is, is going to be the Honda money, to be, to be quite blunt. In a word, do you think Alonso will go to McLaren? My hunch is yes. For 2015? Yes. Holly? Really? Mark? No, I don't think so. I think he'll stay at Ferrari. Okay. See how I dodged the driver question. <laughs> <laughs> I, reckon he'll, I reckon he'll give it three or four months into the year and then I don't think he's made his mind up yet, mm. but I think he'll, he'll, he'll see I, what the lie of the land is, who's building quick he could cars. Never, but... He could never walk away from the challenge of Kimi joining Ferrari, so he could never have walked out in, no. a, in a huff. So he had to sort that out first. But I think him and Ferrari have fallen out of love big time. And another quick fire question Who will come out on top between Alonso and Raikkonen in 2014? Graham Ladden? Oh, Kimmy. 
long time. <laughs> I mean, they're definitely the strongest on paper, aren't they, for next year, those two. But it's, it's going to be so much more complex for the driver. And I, I think Alonso will, will work harder than Kimi. I'm, I'm unsure of how... I, I, I'm unsure because it's going to be so, so much more complex. I'm unsure of how much Kimi's actually going to give to it. I think everything will be tickety-boo until the moment when Alonso finds himself behind Raikkonen, knowing he's faster, like he has several times mm. over the last uh, four or five years with Massa, where Massa, of course, was moved out of the way one way or another, and mm. uh, Kimi won't, uh, won't happen. I think that'll be uh, absolutely fascinating. A quick word on Mauricio. Congratulations on breaking into the top ten. I'm sure financially you're, uh, the Christmas stocking look is bulging a bit more as a result of that. And obviously also getting Max Chilton to the finish of every single Grand Prix. It's never been done before for a rookie to finish every single race. So a couple of things to build on for the future. But you very kindly uh, allowed me to sit on the pit wall in Canada during free practice. And I could see from the inside with the radio and the headset how your team operates. And I told you at the time, I was super impressed. Not that I was expecting any less, but really, really slick operation. Very impressive the way that you go racing. And, you know, it's obviously just about building a quicker car then. That's what stands yes. between you and, and, and having a fight sort of uh, with, with plenty of other teams. Yeah, that's right. You know, the, what the fans see on the television on a Sunday is, is more a measure of the, the raw speed of the car than the, than the skill of operation of the team. But, you know, I'm really proud of our team. Um, I think we run a really good race team. We've raced that car really well. We've we've beaten a uh, you know at least one team that, without any question, has um, has better funding um, than than we have by a sizable way, and it proves it can be done. Um, and it's really testament to to everyone in the team. You know, we've we've got two hundred people in our team, so in Formula One terms, it's quite small. And the the reliability thing is is really interesting. You know, you look at um, Sauber's first ever race in Formula One, they scored points, I think, if I remember rightly. They were seventh, but they were two laps down in last. Well, it's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you all very much for, for coming in and for your contributions. And let's just sign off then with uh, what your tip for the top is in 2014. It can be a, a person, a team, or something that might happen. But Graham Loudon, your tip for the top in 2014. Um, well, I think we are going to see... Uh, um, Team groupings based on engine supplier for um, for this year. So either who's going to have the best performance or the best reliability in terms of engines. Certainly in the, in the early part of the year is going to define um, the rest of the season. So I think uh, I think the watchword for next year is, is unpredictability. Unpredictability is Graham's tip for the top. Mark Hughes. Um, mine's partly wishful thinking. Um, and I think uh, the cost control needs to be uh, imposed from the outside and not policed by the teams. And uh, um, now that Ross Braun's free, uh, he'd be the perfect man at the FIA to do that job, to bring costs under control, which would have a certain amusing irony as well. <laughs> <laughs> certainly would. Holly Samos. I'm looking at the drivers, I think obviously Vettel's going to be formidable next year, but one of the surprise pairings for me could be um, Bottas and Massa at Williams, and especially if the Mercedes engine is good, I think they could they could they they won't be winning world championships particularly next year, but they they will be on top. And Zach, your tip for the top in 2014? Reliability, or potentially lack of, which is something that we've not seen. Uh, reliability problems for the most part. I think Graham uh, leading the charge there with Max finishing every race. I think um, 
that's actually an element that's taken a little bit of the uh, excitement out of Formula One. These cars never break anymore. And I think with these rule changes, uh, there's going to be some people taking some risk and some new technologies. And that can, uh, I think, throw some uh, reliability surprises in there, which I think uh, adds to the excitement of the race that, uh, you know, today it's a foregone conclusion pretty much um, that the majority of the grid's going to finish. And I think we'll, uh, we'll see some surprises next year. And Mark Gillen? You know, there's been a lot of uh, question marks in terms of driver lineup uh, for the new driver lineup for Lotus. But I saw what they did with Roman, and I think Pastor is a similar sort of driver, uh, very, very quick. Uh, and uh, I think with that nurturing environment that they've obviously shown with uh, uh, Roman to, to get him up to speed, I, I'm, I think Lotus may have a, a very strong driver lineup. I think in terms of chassis and driver lineup, Lotus may be a bit of a dark horse. Well, thank you very much. That's it then for this month and for this year. Thanks to you for listening and for all your feedback. Remember, you can catch up with all the latest news, race strategy, analysis and innovations at jamesallen on f1.com. Thanks to all our contributors, to Graham, to Mark, to Holly, to Zach and to Mark Gillen uh, and uh, throughout the season. And thanks to our partners, UBS, for making it possible. Bye for now. The James Allen on F1 podcast is brought to you by UBS and is a Speed Merchants Media production. The producer is Mark Newman.